The topics and opinions expressed on the following show are solely those of the hosts and their guests and not those of W4WN Radio, its employees, or affiliates. We make no recommendations or endorsements for radio show programs, services, or products mentioned on air or on our web. No liability, explicit or implied, shall be extended to W4WN Radio, its employees, or affiliates. Any questions or comments should be directed to those show hosts. Thank you for choosing W4WN Radio. Radio Tony with Tony Lontis, author of Resilience, memoir of a broken little girl discovering a woman of strength and beauty. Available now on Amazon.com and in all good bookstores. Radio Tony. Your safe space for tough conversations, exposing secrets and talking about trauma and recovery. Radio Tony. Building Resilience. Talking trauma. Radio Tony. Live from the Gold Coast, Australia. Radio Tony. Difficult conversations and bringing hope to listeners. Live from the Gold Coast, Australia on W4WN. Good morning, Australia. Good evening, America. How is everyone doing out there? This crisis situation across the world is no doubt causing many of you, the listeners, some uh, uncertain, anxious and horrible times. I really, really want to know that you're all okay. Those of you that are listening out there, just jump on the chat box and let me know that you're all doing okay. Uh, Radio Tony is um, the platform for the unheard and I encourage you to get in contact today and just let me know that you're okay. You know that I will listen to your comments and I love to know that you're live out there and okay. For those of you that um, want further information or you want the show notes or information about our guest, pop on over to RadioTony.com. That's as it is, RadioTony.com, and you'll be able to see the information about the guests and more information about the show. And if you know anyone who would like to be on the show who might have an interesting story or do something interesting, there's also a spot on RadioTony.com to be a guest of the show. So I don't know about you guys, but I have been in self-isolation for about three weeks now. And so far, it's okay. I have made very little uh, way off the property other than to go for a walk around the um, our local area with the puppies. And I know that for some of you, it will be an incredibly horrible and overwhelming time to be locked down and in isolation. I'm okay because I've really got the uh, absolute pleasure of having an online radio show. So I get to talk to you guys all the time and that fills my soul so reach out and let me know if you want to chat today I'll keep talking and uh, tell you a bit about my week so this week I had to go and get my flu shot and it's important because I'm immunocompromised so not only does the flu shot protect me from the flu but it if I were to come in contact with coronavirus, it would give me a little teeny bit of limited uh, help with that as well. So I rang my doctor and he said, well, yes, we can do that in the car park outside the doctor's surgery. 
And so I arrived, rang the centre and said, I'm here. And they said, right, we'll send the doctor out. So the doctor came out and from two metres away, talked through my non-driver's window to see if I had a temperature and if I was okay, uh, if I'd had any flus or colds or anything. And we did that. And then he said, right, well, I'm sending my nurse out now. And he proceeded to send the uh, practice nurse out. And she then came out with her needles and paperwork and across from where I was parked was a coffee place and inside that coffee place were about six people all two metres apart and doing socialization, social distancing really well. So enter the nurse with a needle and she gives me the needle through my window into my arm and the people standing in the coffee shop were in equal parts laughing, shocked or bemused by the fact that I was getting my needle via the car window in a car park. So strange times indeed. Jasmine is doing okay for the most part. That's good to hear, Jasmine. Kelly, going a bit stir nuts. Yeah, a lot of people are going stir crazy and it's just uh, we're going to be here for a little bit longer. So, again, I'm glad I get to be on radio and talk to you all and interact with you all because that's just fabulous from my perspective pages it is okay i guess james says i still have to work here and there but i can't go and see my boo until this is over with oh james that's shocking penny why would you get a shot like that penny i am immunocompromised so that means in essence my body has no ability to fight off uh, any of the season flu. So I'm in Australia. We're coming into winter, which is our flu season, completely opposite to America. And I must get my flu shot because for me, getting any sort of illness, um, I have no capacity to fight it. I have rheumatoid arthritis, and that means that my lungs are the key part of my body that takes the brunt of any flu, cold, or nasty I get. So by having my flu shot, I am at least pr protected and uh, stopped from getting any blues. And I know that I'm in isolation, but I still have to go out and go to the doctor. I still have to go out and get my uh, prescriptions. And my husband, who is isolating with me, he has to go out. And as careful as he has, there's no guarantee that he won't bring something home to me. So the flu shot is my added uh, strategy in trying to stay safe, well, and happy. Oliver says, must have looked like a drug thing. I think that would have looked straight. Yes, Oliver, the looks on the people's faces in the coffee shop was priceless. So I don't know how um, Americans are going, but in Australia, we are taking the mickey out of ourselves. And when I say take the mickey out of ourselves, we're very good at doing that. We have the wonderful ability to laugh at ourselves. So there's people out there putting teddy bears in their windows so that when children go for walks with their parents, they can see all the teddies in everyone's windows. We have neighbours putting red or green signs in their windows. So if they have a red sign, that means that the neighbours around them will go and see if they need any help, they need groceries or, or anything. If it's green, that means that they're all okay and everything's going fine. Um the other thing that we're seeing from our government in Australia is unprecedented amounts of money and handouts and protections for 
Australians. So one of those recent ones was free childcare in Australia and across Australia for those people who are still working. So that includes my daughter who is employed by the local uh, council. And she has been worrying about whether to leave um, my four-year-old grandson in care or take him out. And now the government has given out that there will be free childcare across Australia for however long that this takes. So that's a huge help for those families that are still working. And a lot of them, uh, there's a, uh, lots and lots and lots and lots of people have lost their jobs across Australia. I'm assuming that it's similar in America. Um which means that many, many, many people do not know where their money's come from or going to come from. And the Australian government has been very proactive in making sure that people have enough money and that they uh, have money to get them through this time. They've also uh, put a rent freeze on and no one is allowed to be evicted from their rental property during this time. It's now illegal for landlords to boot out their tenants they have to negotiate with their tenants regarding ongoing rent payments. And for me, some of these things are, are wonderful and they're wonderful to see. Um, there's also lots and lots of information about how to go online and innovative ways to connect with society. There is so many people doing webinars, so many people doing online courses, and for the first time ever, it's now completely easy to jump online and do a course. And so before I go to a break, I thought I'd go and uh, thought I'd talk about some of the things that are coming through in terms of fact checking. One of the ones doing the rounds on Facebook in particular is a viral post around well-played China and it talks about scene one, scene two, scene three and talking about a conspiracy theory that China created this virus to bring down economies and achieve world domination. In most cases, the theory suggests that China is behind the purposeful spread of the virus, which is sometimes referred to as a bioweapon. China's vision is to control the world economy by buying up stocks from countries facing the brink of severe economic collapse. Uh, the conservative lobby group uh, Advance Australia published an article detailing this theory that the virus may have escaped from a military laboratory in Wuhan. There's currently no evidence whatsoever to suggest that coronavirus originated anywhere else than in nature. And in fact, it was an animal to nature transfer, not created, created by nature. So not created by China. Fact checkers at USA Today looked at a recent report from the Scripps Research Institute, which concluded that coronavirus mostly resembled related viruses found in bats and pangolins. So again, it's an animal to human virus, and that's why humans are so uh, getting this virus, because we have no immunity to it. It's an animal virus. So our human body has no capacity to fight it. Um, Obviously, some people's uh, ability to fight it is better than others, but for most of us, we're going to be in for a little bit of a rough trot. So, 
That's our first segment over and done with. I'm going to pop onto a little break while we get our wonderful guest, Alicia, online. Over to you, Rebel. Keeping the conversation going on the suppressed social and moral issues, this is Radio Tony on W4WN. Join Tony Lontis, author of Resilience, memoir of a broken little girl discovering a woman of strength and beauty. Radio Tony uncovers and exposes the social and moral Moral issues of our time, bringing social consciousness to the airwaves. You're not alone with your secrets. Let's talk trauma and resilience. Radio Tony with Tony Lontis, Thursday evenings from 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on W4WN. Keep the conversation going. Direct assistance. Call Radio Tony. Hello. 561-623-9421 on W4WN Radio Guest Skype. And we're back live on air. So just before that, we were talking about the wonderful Alicia Doyle, who is the author of a nonfiction novel based on a true story called Fighting Chance. She's an award-winning journalist and has discovered discovered boxing at the age of 28 in the late 1900s when she went on assignment at a boxing gym for at-risk youths called Kid Gloves. For two years, she simultaneously worked as a newspaper reporter while training and competing as a boxer, making her one of only a few hundred women in America who infiltrated this male-dominated sport. During her boxing career, she won two Golden Glove champion t- championship titles and earned three wins by knockout. Her pro debut at the age of 30 in the year 2000 was named California. She was named Californian Female Fight of the Year. Fighting Chance offers an inside look at what's considered the toughest sport known to man. Um, so we, when we get Alicia um, live online, we're going to be talking about her boxing career which she discovered later in life and I know that uh, she did phenomenally well once she got into the sport so we're going to talk about her life leading up to boxing and what that meant for her and so I think Rebel we might go uh, straight into a song while we get Alicia online.
Hello, Alicia. Hi, Tony. How are you this morning? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. How is it in LA today? Everything is um, as normal as it could be. <laughs> <laughs> Our new normal, in other words, hey? Right, exactly. So is LA in complete lockdown? What's the situation over there at the moment? Um, well, I live in Ventura County, so I'm yes. not in LA County. Um, so I'll speak for Ventura County, but uh, it's, yeah. it's very strict here right now. Yeah. Uh, they closed our beaches and parks uh, on March 31st. Yeah. And, um, you know, they're, they, you know, they want people to stay home as much as possible, of course. Yeah. Uh, I have not heard an order yet that we are re required to wear masks when we go out, but mm -hmm. um, I do notice more people are wearing them, but it's kind of a ghost town. Yeah. Yeah. So what are you doing at the moment? What's keeping you busy besides talking to uh, Radio Tony? Uh, I am trying not to go insane. Oh, no. <laughs> I um... <laughs> A lot of our listeners are saying that this morning. The listeners have been on the chat box already and they're going, I'm going crazy. I'm going crazy. Yeah. And, and it's interesting. I just, I think that people need to keep hearing other people's stories because humans are connected by stories and your background in journalism, you would know how important it is for people to tell good stories. So I thought that that's where we'd start because you didn't get into boxing until relatively later in life. So let's talk about your um, earlier life and, and, and growing up in that. And what led you into journalism in the first place? Sure, sure. Yes. So I've always loved writing. Even when I was a little girl, I, I've been journaling for as long as I can remember. So I, I always enjoyed it, um, but never really thought about getting into newspaper journalism until I was, um, you know, older in my 20s and just not really sure what I wanted to do um, for a living. And I, but I knew I needed to do something. So I enrolled at uh, Pierce College in Southern mm -hmm. California, Community College. And it was just, just to see if something had sparked my interest. And as part of my general studies, I had to take an elective. Um, so journalism sparked my interest, the journalism class. And from there, um, once I met the editor-in-chief, who was a, another student, because it was a student-run paper, um, he was talking about the power of the press and how the press can change lives and that when people are really in trouble, they don't call a lawyer or the cops, they call the press. And just what a huge responsibility it is and how a journalist can create tremendous positive change. Um, yeah. That's what hooked me in. So that's how I fell in love with it was uh, the student-run newspaper at Pierce College, which I became editor-in-chief of in my third semester. I was in charge of it. Wow. So, um, yes, it was a blast. It was one of the best times I've ever had in my life. Alicia, can you tell me some of the stories that you've done that had the biggest impact on you? I love that question, um, I've interviewed so many remarkable people. It's hard to focus on just one. Um, of course, you know, um, my story about Kid Gloves, uh, Boxing Studio, which is how I discovered boxing. Yeah. I loved writing that story and delving into that because I, I didn't know anything about the sport before I reported on it. And I didn't understand 
um, how it could literally transform a life for the better and how it instills self-esteem. So, of course, I love that story because it got me into boxing. But if there is a particular individual that really stands out in my mind, um, it has to be a gentleman named Ishmael Tesfarati. And he has ALS and uh, Lou Gehrig's disease. And for listeners that aren't aware of what that does to the human body is it literally robs you of every faculty you've got, but your brain is still completely intact. Yeah, it's so, a um, Yeah, so Ishmael was hit with this in his 50s, and he was a, a film producer, a director, a, you know, a, a big-time success guy, and got hit with this thing in his 50s and lost his ability to do everything um, but blink his right eye. Oh. Yes, and what's remarkable about this is, you know, this, his wife as well, Cheryl, of course, she stayed by his side. She loves him, but she developed uh, this alphabet chart so her husband and her could communicate. And he literally uh, spells out sentences uh, letter by letter um, with a blink of an eye. And he wrote a book that way. Oh, wow. Yes. Yes. A whole and, uh, book. Yes. And I, I was just so blown away by this couple and, and, their, and their incredible love story. You know, because I had to ask her, you know, being in a relationship can have its ups and downs and its challenges, yeah. Yeah. Um, but I don't know how many people would stay in something like that. And, you know, of course, I had to ask her why. Um, and she said, because I'm in love with him. Aww. He's still the same man. Yeah, so that's this beautiful love story about this couple. And they go everywhere. They go to the Grand Canyon. They go to Vegas. I mean, it really has not slowed him down by any means. And... Um, his prognosis back then was not very good. I mean, he wasn't expected to live as long as he did. Um, and he's still alive. Wow. Um, and I'm honored to know them. But his story inspires me because here's a guy. Uh, I don't know how, how anybody could be diagnosed with something like that and want to live anymore. And I'm just being honest. Um, he yeah, lives no, everything. His brain agree. works fine. Um, but that he had this will to live, that he had this remarkable woman at his side, that he wrote a book. <sighs> With the blink yeah. of an eye. Yeah. Uh, wow. Yeah, he was a subject that I'll never forget. Wow. So do you still work in journalism, Alicia? I am. I'm still a journalist, but um, my book, Fighting Chance, has been keeping me quite busy, which I'm very um, grateful Can I get onto that? <laughs> sure. Yes, I'd love to join So Fighting Chance is the new book, and it talks about your journey from journalism and into boxing and the story about how you discovered boxing is pretty special so let's tell the audience about that thank you i love i love talking about it. so i was working this was in 1997 i believe um, yeah. 1990s i yeah. was alone and all these pieces um i believe were serendipitous i i don't believe it was an accident that i found boxing or that boxing found me um, but I was alone in the newsroom, so the phone rang, nobody else was there to answer it, and I answered, and it was a community activist uh, wanting coverage for a boxing gym in Simi Valley in Southern California. Um, she wanted coverage because the gym was destroyed by El Nino raids. And when I heard the pitch, I was turned off right away because I, did, I never liked boxing before I got into it. I thought it was the dark side. And I told her I'd pass the story along to a sports writer, um, but she continued to coax me and said, uh, you're not understanding what the story is. She said, you know, this is a boxing gym for at-risk you. 
they have nowhere to go because the gym was destroyed and these kids need, need this gym. And, um, she's like, we need to generate funds so he can reopen in another spot in town. So I reluctantly went on this assignment. And as soon as I met this gentleman and his family and saw the size of his heart, um, that opened up my heart to delve in deeper into the sport itself. So yeah. for about a period of a year, I was writing a story about his gym, about kid gloves. Um, he did end up reopening on another side of town. Um, I met these children. I met their families. I got to interview them about just how the sport changed their children's lives. Yeah. Um, and that's how I fell in love with the sport, but I hadn't gotten involved yet. So what got me into the gym that day, and uh, Robert had been wanting me to take his boxing class forever, but I just never took him up on it. Um, I went through a pretty volatile breakup, and this is all yes. in my novel, um, where the boy I was with, he hit me in the face more than once. So needless to say, that made me pretty upset, and I just wanted to hit something really hard over and over again. And so I thought I'll go to the boxing there's gym and I'll do anything. There's something yeah. quite powerful about um punching one of those boxing bags isn't there mm -hmm. yes the heavy bag i love the heavy bag yeah. uh i i hit that bag for an hour and i did feel better so because it made me feel better um it helped just um you know i was pretty angry when i went in by the time i was done with that class you know all the anger went away partially because the workout was so exhausting so yes. The next thing I know, I'm taking two, three classes in a row. Um, it went from, you know, just one day a week to six days a week. I was there all the time taking these classes. And yeah. soon enough, I, I wanted more. So um, I just started training on my own, uh, doing what the boxers do. I would study them from the sidelines and watch their yeah. moves, you know, just their routines. And just started mimicking them in the gym and did it on my own. Um, and then other coaches from other boxing gyms started to notice, uh, partially because I, I trained pretty hard. Was pretty yeah. angry <laughs> and yeah. um, also because I'm a female so that's when coaches started to approach me about boxing competitively and because back then there were only about 400 women in America boxing at the time I was considered a commodity uh-huh so that was the significance and I you know when I was older I was um 28 years old when I got Which into is boxing. not old but correct correct absolutely that that's I feel very young but um, on a, from an athletic standpoint, especially a sport that that difficult and that dangerous, you know, a lot of the best fighters, you know, they start they they they're born into boxing. Um, you know, I I took it up and um, I just was happened to be pretty good at it, yeah. um, and um, and I just loved it. Um, you know, the workout was one of the hardest things I've ever done. You know, and of course, competing. Um, there's nothing like it in the world. I um, ended up winning two Golden Gloves championship titles. Yeah. Um, during that time and my pro debut at age 30 was named the California female fight of the year. Yeah. Which so um, impressive. It, it, I, I was very lucky. Um, I had some incredible competitors. The, the women I stepped in the ring with, they're remarkable women, um, incredible athletes. And yes. I, I do need to point out that when we were boxing back then, that women were not allowed to box in the Olympic games. Oh. We were, yeah, women's boxing in the Olympics was not allowed until 2012, which was not that long ago. Really? It, yeah, it's crazy. Know. It's crazy to wrap your mind around. And yeah. um, I do believe I didn't myself. Know that. Pardon me? I didn't know that it was, wasn't was included until 2012. That just seems, wow. I know. 
I know that wasn't that long ago. And I do remember having a dialogue with my coach back um, when I was competing because I thought, you know, it'd be cool to box in the Olympics. And I remember asking him about that. And he said, well, women aren't allowed to box in the Olympics. And that's when I discovered it. I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, but I do believe myself and all my competitors and all the women in boxing that came before us, that we paved that way for yeah. women to be able to box in the Olympics now. Definitely. Definitely. Listen, Leisha, Dala wants to know, is it safe to do this? Um, I guess she's asking about the, the physicality of boxing. So, that's uh, a great question. Um, yeah. I'm going to be brutally honest. Uh, boxing is very dangerous. Yeah, That's why not a lot of people do it. Um, now, you can engage in a no-contact boxing, which is just a boxing aerobic workout, which is an incredible workout. There are yes. many boxing routines and things you can do without touching anybody or getting hit. Um, but boxing as a sport, whether it's amateurs or pros, it's yeah. very dangerous. Yeah. Because a number of those good hits to the head cause your brain to uh, vibrate around inside that hard skull and that's where damage can most definitely happen. Are women uh, discouraged from hitting certain uh, parts of your body or is it just wherever the punch lands? That is a great question. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the way boxing is scored, when you're when the glove, um, a certain point on the gloves connects with the other human being, you know, that's a point. So uh -huh. that's how it's scored. Now, um, when I was competing, and I don't know why, most of my competitors were headhunters. And by that, mm -hmm. I mean, we, we, we mostly socked each other in the head. Yes. Um, <laughs> um, I don't, I don't remember ever getting hit punched in the chest. Um, uh -huh. I did get yeah, I did get socked in the liver and the kidney. Uh, Ouch. Never in the chest. Yeah. So, um, but I think, yeah, the women in boxing, you know, they've evolved a bit. They're, they're throwing a lot more body shots. You know, you could take somebody out with a body shot. Um, yeah. But, yes, um, the, the, the danger factor is definitely um, something, you know, to be mindful of. I did not do it that long. And I was also, I was also pretty good at it, which is probably yeah. why I'm not messed up. Yeah. Or I can have a conversation with you right now. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Listen, Alicia, Penny wants to know, in reference to that r horrible relationship you were in, why did he hit you in the face? I, I can, I know what my answer would be, but, but over to you, Alicia. Well, um, and of course, it's in the book, the blow by blow. Um, we, we just got in a fight, like most couples do. But I, I had suspected he had been cheating, and. Uh -huh. um, yeah, so I actually ended up catching him in the act, and um, oh it's my all, God. yeah, it's all in the novel. Um, I mean, you know, they were clothed. I saw them on the doorstep, but um, yeah, I um, I drove by, made sure he saw me, um, and then you know he ended up following me in his car, and then yeah. you know waving me to pull over, so I did, um, you know, and he was just begging me to listen to him, and at that point, I didn't want to. I was pretty angry. Yeah. And so um, he was just pleading for me to listen to him, and I wouldn't listen. And so he punched me in the face <gasps> with a closed fist. And I think it was because he wanted me to listen to him. I mean, that's not the way to get a woman to listen to you, but that's was his method. Yeah. And um, I remember being shocked by it. Um, I'm sure it hurt, but I think what hurt more was that you know I loved yeah. this person. Yeah. 
see that yeah. the strangest thing was that and and I'll be honest with you that even after that happened I still loved him yeah yeah so you know I had to reconcile that as well but that's well, often yeah. That's often the way when when relations get to that physical point, the love doesn't stop just because someone's hit you in the face. The love it takes longer to sort through the emotional side of the relationship, even though your brain's going, but he hit you in the face, it's you, you need to get out of there. That doesn't necessarily mean that your brain is caught up to that that point where that physical bit has happened correct and and um i'll be honest i was very ashamed when it happened i didn't talk about it for many years i i felt that i was weak um i was angry at myself for allowing myself to be in that kind of a relationship there was even a part of me that thought i deserved it and i i had to reconcile all those things yeah, uh, yeah. which was very difficult because it took uh, it, it required me to take a really hard look at myself because many factors came into play about why I got involved in that relationship, why I stayed, why I had that weird mental process after he hit me. And a lot of women have that story. Um, a lot yes. of strong women I know have that story. So A lot I of strong that, women. I think that it's important to talk about. And, and I'll be honest, it was parts of the novel that were the hardest for me to write were the parts where I was vulnerable like that. I had to be... Yes very vulnerable and absolutely honest with my readers because people know when you're dishonest with them. And, and um, that was a very difficult process. Yes. Yes. As the author of my own difficult story, it really takes it out of your soul when you uh, go to those vulnerable places and write from those about those vulnerable experiences because, as Alicia says, they're the human part of a domestic violence situation always involves matters of the heart and you do feel ashamed, you do feel guilty, you do question whether you deserved it um, and all of those things. And if you don't um, reconcile those things, you end up a fractured person um more fractured than when you went into the relationship so and definitely it's hard to write about that stuff isn't it Alicia it is it's very difficult and I and I respect uh, people like you and, and and other remarkable human beings out there who are so willing to be vulnerable you know you open yourself up and you, you open yourself up to praise but also any kind of criticism yes. um, and it's 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 very brave and it, it is people like you um, and other people out there that are willing to put it all on the line for the sake of helping another human being. That's what inspired me to do it. That's why I was able to complete it, was knowing that I've interviewed so many people who have been so vulnerable with their stories. And I thought, if they can do it, I can do it too. Yeah, yeah. And that's what connects with other people, because we're all vulnerable. I mean, that's yeah. the one commonality we all share is vulnerability, and it's a very beautiful thing. It, it, it is, and I passionately believe that more people need to write stories about vulnerability so that we get to understand how these things happen, how women in particular get into uh, domestic violence situations and why it's so hard to get out of those situations. Mm -hmm. Yes, and, um, and it's, a, it's a fascinating thing to have a dialogue about. 
um, because I never thought I'd be the, you know, the target of violence, you know, you know, and all these, all these, so, you know, and then boxing being violent, correct, right? So why would enter something so dangerous and, and violent? Um, and then another piece of it was um, I saw, I witnessed my first act of violence when I was five. And, and yeah. that's included in the book, too. So I do believe that there are many things that make us who we are, all of our experiences, all the the things we've struggled with, and, and our successes, too. They make up who we are. Um, but all those pieces are included in my novel. It, it's multi-layered. It's not just about boxing. Yes, of course, you know, I remember every fight like yesterday. So all my fights yeah. are in there, blow by blow, and uh, yeah. my amazing competitors. But it also reveals all the layers, you know, it answers the whys, the questions, you know, why would a woman box? Why would a woman do something so dangerous? Why would a woman willingly step into battle with another human being? And it, it's the sum of all parts um, that made me do those things. And and I, I say a lot in the book, you know, the, the only way out is through. Yes. That's the only way to get to the other side. Yeah. And sometimes the group part is hard. But it's the only way out. Alicia, what do you think that was, uh, why was your boxing career so significant in the late 1990s, do you think? It was significant because I was one of only about 400 women in America doing it at the time. Yes. Um, And and that was, I'll be honest, it was cool. <laughs> I'm yeah. not going to lie. I loved um, being uh, one of only a few. I was also one of the oldest, even though I wasn't that old. You know, a yeah. lot of the girls that were doing it back then, they were teenagers. A lot of my opponents were teenagers, they were kids. Yeah. Yeah. And they were warriors, these women that yeah. I stepped in battle with. And I, I just, um, you know, and they were teachers, they were students. Uh, one was yeah. a little waitress. I say little because yeah. she was a teenager. Yeah, and yeah. you know they, they took it upon themselves to to go into this this sport that not many people, men or women, get involved in because. No. Um, my brother, and this is in the book too. My brother, um, yeah. he's I love my brother, but he did not like his little sister boxing, and he used to call <laughs> it. Uh, <laughs> he used to tell me it was legal murder. He said, "You know that if your opponent kills you, she gets to go home and have dinner, right?" No. Oh. Yeah, yeah, and he, wow. he, he was being honest. I mean, that's brutally honest. But yeah. he would say those things to me because he didn't want me fighting. And, and it's all in the book. There's some yeah, yeah. wonderful scenes in there with me and my brother because, um, you know, and that was part of my journey as well, um, was meeting my brother for the first time at age 25. So that's in the book too. Yeah, yeah. So how do you think that your role in boxing helped pave the way for the wonderful women boxers we see today? I think it's exposure. The fact that we did it, um, we all faced a fighting chance doing it. Yeah. And whether we won or lost, uh, we, you know, we kept going. And um, I'll be honest, we were made fun of quite a bit. We were called the freak show. Yeah. We were objectified. We were fetishized. Um, uh, but we stayed strong in our beliefs that we were athletes, period. We could yeah. just be just as great as athletes as the male boxers out there. And mm-hmm. we just kept going. Um, 
despite um, all the criticism and the odds stacked against us, we still did it. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. We had the grit to stay in the fight. Yeah. 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 Women are pretty gritty like that. Alicia, what was your most memorable fight? That's such a great question. Okay. I, they were all memorable. I remember every single one of them. Um, wow. But I'd have to say my, um, my pro fight. My pro fight in 2000. Um, yes. because, and it was most memorable because it was a pro fight. So the yes. difference between amateur and pros is in amateurs, you wear headgear. You wear, you know, 12 to 14 ounce boxing gloves. So you're yes. somewhat protected. Um, in a pro fight, your gloves are eight ounces, which is like getting punched with a closed fist. You wear no headgear. Uh. There's no head protection. And uh, uh, <laughs> it was, um, it was it a bit battle. scary. It was a battle, and, and she was such an incredible competitor, um, and we threw nonstop. I mean, that's why I earned the California Female Fight of the Year. We just came out blazing, and um, I thought that I had her in round three because she was so tired, and, and I busted her lip early on in round one, so, you know, yeah. she was bleeding a lot, yeah. um, and uh I thought I had her. I thought that by round four that she was just going to tire out and I was going to take that fight. But I was tired, too, and I was hurt, too. Yeah. And I don't know what was said to her in that corner or how she did it. Um, but she came out in round four bleeding and tired and, and just um, like with the heart of a lion. And so it went to the, a decision in the end, and the judges gave it to her, and it was a well-deserved win. She deserved that win. Uh -huh. But there were people in the crowd who thought it was a tie. There were people at the end that thought that I won that fight. But Lisa Valencia earned that fight hands down. Yeah, 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 yeah. So in thinking about the sport of boxing, there's lots of skills that you learn in boxing, not just the physical skills, but the, um, the, the, the mental skills. So what life lessons did you learn from boxing and do those lessons continue in your life today? I would say it's interesting how the physicality of boxing translates um, to other things. Um, physically, I learned I was a lot stronger than my brain told me I was. Yeah. There were many times um, just during training. Um, and the, re the reason why they train so hard, why boxers train so hard, you want the training to be harder than the fight. Yes. Uh, now, nothing is harder than a fight. But if you train really, really hard, then, you know, then the fight, you should be able to just have it come out of you like second nature. Um, but a lot of times, you know, you're in a fight, you think you're tired, or I would think I was tired, I would think I couldn't go, I didn't want to do it again, I would tell my corner man, I don't want to go out there again, I can't go out another round, and my coaches would say, you got it, you can do this, you got this, you can do it, you're strong. Yeah. So you tell yourself you're strong, you say, I got this, and then you go in for another round. You know, and that's like life, you know, there's challenges, life can be a battle sometimes, you can, you can get hit with a sucker punch. But then you shake it off and you realize, okay, I'm still here, still present. And you get back in there. You get back in that fight. Yeah. You know, and, and, and that's what I learned. And that's why it still continues to affect me to this day because I survived literal battles in the ring. Yeah. yeah. You know, and, and walked away. And so I do think about that. You know, it's like, gosh, I can step in the square with somebody one-on-one, -on -one, you know, or two gladiators in there and walk away alive. Yeah. Um, I, I really did feel like I could get through anything, and I still feel like that now. Yeah, and that that's a wonderful thing. Just, I'm curious, 
Alicia, do you still box at all? Um, Obviously, you're not doing it competitively. I am a volunteer boxing coach for the children's class at the same gym that I wrote about 20 years ago. So these are children. They're age 4 to 14. It's no contact boxing. Um, But we do all the boxing workout. Of course, they wear their little gloves. We have them shadow box. Um, And I, I, you know, before the virus hit, um, you know, of course, the gym is closed for now. But um, but I'm going to resume that as soon as we're open again. And, you know, and it's just teaching these kids, you know, all these amazing skills. And, um, you know, some of these kids, they have challenges. They've got learning disabilities or or, you know, physical disabilities. And um, but they come in there and they slip on a pair of gloves and they can they can focus and they can bust out combinations. And it, it builds yeah. their self-esteem. I mean, there's something about them that changes. And it's a great workout, you know, yes. and the parents love it because we tire them out. for Um, anyone who has never um boxed um before it is the best way to raise your uh heart rate till you think your heart's gonna burst (laughs) that is true um i used to do boxing um once or twice a week um before i got um rheumatoid arthritis and my I, I can no longer do that with with my hands, but I have to say, I, when I'm listening to Le- to Alicia, that there's something about boxing. There's something about the your glove hitting that uh, either your sparring partner or the the bell, the boxing uh, bag. There's something about that that helps to uh, erase tension. It certainly is the best anger buster. I have ever come across. Wouldn't you think, Alicia? Is it the same way Absolutely. for you? Absolutely. You, you, you explained it perfectly. It's addictive, right? There's yes. something about it. It's yes. like a rush. You get this yes. a, a natural adrenaline rush, and it, and it's fantastic for the body. I mean, it gets you it in is. fantastic shape. Yeah, yeah. It, it, there's some. There's just I. I've not been able to explain it, and and I know that I loved it for the good things that it gave me, even though it's like a tough thing to do. But I just loved it until I couldn't couldn't do it anymore. And um, when I knew I was doing this um, interview with Alicia, I was really excited because I thought, oh, I can at least sort of voyeuristically remember what it's like to um, punch a uh, boxing. Uh, ball or spa with someone and um, it it really is a a wonderful sport for people to release anger so even if you haven't got something to 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 punch just that same uh, punching mechanism into air will almost achieve like shadow boxing will almost achieve the same same thing great for reducing anger and frustration and again I'm really grateful to be talking to Alicia at this time because you can do some of these things like shadow boxing to release the angst and tension you feel while we're all self-isolating. And you're absolutely right. Um, You can shadow box anywhere and shadow boxing is hard. Um, People don't realize just how taxing it is. Um, But, you know, I do have two women clients. It's a mother and daughter um, they're fantastic. So of course we can't meet right now because the gym is closed. But uh, yeah. she texted me and was asking some, some things she could do at home while we're while we're waiting. And I I'm, I said shadow box, you know, because yeah. normally at the gym I'd have her and her mom get in the in the ring and I'd have them you know take turns doing shadow boxing for a two minute round each. 
you know, and they're done. Like after four rounds of that, they're oh, you know, yeah. it just wipes them out. Um, so I was telling her, I said, just pretend like you're at the gym in the ring with me. And I said, and you, I said, you can shadow box anywhere. That's what's so amazing about it. You can do it in your home. You can yes. do it on your porch. Yep. You can do it everywhere. And you don't have to do it for 30 minutes straight. I mean, when, yeah. when I'm shadow boxing, even when I was competing, I would only, I would do two minute rounds. You get a 30 second rest. You do another two minute round, 30 second rest. And yep. um, it's fantastic cardio. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. Just a couple of comments coming in, Alicia. Jen says, I could see why families would say those things since they worry about the women and the men who fight like this. So that's in reference when we were talking about um, your brother and his, his concern about you boxing. And then Herbie says, this seems to be like a harsh thing to do. Well, I, Herbie, I don't think that the physical fighting with another person, yes, perhaps, but if you are using boxing as um, a way to release anger and you're just punching even a pillow, like it is so good at releasing nervous tension and anger. And Alicia, I don't know what it is, if, it is, if it's the hand meeting something of resistance that dis dispels the anger and frustration, I'm not sure. What do you think? I, 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 that's a great question. It's hard to articulate why it does that physically. Um, but hitting a heavy bag, it, it feels fantastic. Um, it gets you ripped. I mean, yes. you know, especially the arms. I mean, you just do, <laughs> you don't even need to do it that much um, to get into shape. But um, I love everything about it. I mean, you know, even um, I love the speed bag, you know, that little bag where they, yes. you know, yes. your hands up like the little one that awesome. The little one that hits you in the head if you don't hit it properly. <laughs> Exactly. Yes. And it took me a long time to master that thing. But I tell you, once I did, it was fantastic. And that's great for the arms and, you know, the skipping rope. I mean, that's an it's amazing also idea. It's also good for things like your brain because yes. you are training your brain to focus on one thing and hit that little ball um, and, and hit it precisely so that it doesn't swing back and hit you in the head. Um, <laughs> it, right. And it's quite exactly. a good it's quite a complex skill to accomplish. Um, it's not something you can just go and do straight away unless you've got some uh, natural ability. Mac wants to know, I don't think I want any of my people doing this. And Harry says, what do you, how do you learn to use these skills other than to protect yourself? That's a great question, Harry, and I'm going to give it over to Alicia. So wait, what was the question? How do you learn to not use these skills other than to protect yourself? So, in answer, I think what I'd for Harry, um, the information about how it keeps you physically and mentally fit and healthy versus using it as a skill to protect yourself. So that's the thing. People, people. Uh, can be quite polarized and think that boxing is about knocking another person out but boxing is multifaceted in that you can use it without touching another human being to get you in the most fit um you've ever been and also to give you a mental agility that no other sport quite comes close to um so would you agree alicia Yes, um, there is something about it because, you know, boxing is very awkward. Um, yeah. You know, the body isn't, you know, normally designed to do a lot of these things. So you've got to train it in such a way, you know, you literally have to train it to do these really awkward moves. I mean, I looked really strange when I first started shadow boxing and doing all these things. Um, but you're using the left and your right side of your body. Um, 
about the things like coordination. Yes, at hand-eye coordination, focus. Um, you know, I've got kids in, in the that I coach that have ADHD, ADD. Um, one has like a little bit of autism, and their parents tell me that you know that their child cannot focus in school, cannot focus in, in other areas. But when they're in that class with me, they can focus. So there's something about the physicality of it, you know, like this kid who can't pay attention in class can bust out a five string combination with perfection. And that's and and in saying that these kids are not boxing, they're shadow boxing. So they're 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 boxing with the air, so to speak. There's no Correct. physical contact. Zero contact. Absolutely zero contact with the children. Um, you know, of course I do work with focus mitts and that's when you see the coach holding those mitts that they punch. You know, yes. so I, I work the focus mitts with them, but that's just so they can learn how to punch. And, and that's why they're called focus mitts. You focus and then you hit yes. that target. Um, Again, the mental, the mental, the mental uh, process of the hand and eye coordination to hit that glove is a very good thing for lots of mm -hmm. kids who suffer with things like ADHD. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it was, it's always surprising. Like there's one kid and I had no idea that he had it. I, I wouldn't know, you know, those children come in there and I don't know anything about them. I usually yeah. find out later. And yeah. um, I remember, um, yeah, his parents coming up to me and saying, you know, that, that they were so, they just couldn't believe it because in school, you know, he just can't pay attention. He's always getting into trouble. And I said, I, I said, I never would have known. I said, because yeah. he's one of my best students here. I said, he's always paying attention. He works yeah. very hard in that class. You know, so, I mean, and that's cool, too, when you get a kid in there who who just excels beyond belief. I mean, they're all wonderful children. Yeah. Um, you know, and they're all at different levels. You know, some are a little awkward. Some are natural athletes, and they, they look like they've been doing it their whole lives. And, yeah. you know, and we've got a couple girls in there, not many. I'm always wanting to get more girls in there. But we got a few, and then they're wonderful. These girls are tough girls. And, you know, Boxing is a sport. It wasn't really designed to for self defense, like on the street, like yes. in alley. Um, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a sport, but there are certain things about it that, and I do teach the kids um, offensive moves. You know, yes, it applies to boxing, but the, the offensive moves that I teach them in that class are are things that they can use if, God forbid, somebody does try to hurt them. That hopefully their their hand will automatically come up. I'm working on. Their hands, you know, always protecting their face at all times. That's what they tell you. Keep the gloves up. Um, yes. But I'm also teaching them how to block, you know, if somebody takes a sucker punch to their body, you know, and how to block that to their body. I mean, you just never know. And um, because um, boxing is a, a lot of conditioned responses. So it's a matter of them just doing these things over and over and over again. And that way, if they are in the real world, and if somebody comes at them, they will be able to block the punch. Protect themselves. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. So, Alicia, we're fastly running out of time, but I want to get on to your, your novel, The Fighting Chance. What's your ultimate goal with your book? What would you like to achieve with, with um, your book? Or obviously, you'd love people to buy the book and, and, and read it. And further up in the chat box, I've put Alicia's contact details and the link to her website. And I will put those up again in the bottom of the chat just in case people didn't see them. But what's... What would you like to achieve with your book, Alicia? I want to inspire and empower people with it. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, you know, certainly, um, I want people to be entertained by it. Um, I, I've heard really great feedback so far, which is nice. Yes. 
um, I want people to know it's not just about boxing. It's it's about life, and I think that it it applies across the board on many levels. I think there are um, nuggets of, of, of wisdom and beauty throughout yes. the book that can apply to just about everybody. And um, but my most important thing was making a positive difference with that book. Yeah. Yeah. And with everyone uh, self-isolating or having more time on their hands, it's now a really good time to get into reading some great books. And so I've popped Alicia's um, website up on the chat box, and it's aliciadoyle.com, and that's spelled A-L-I-C-I-A-D-O-Y-L-E com and you'll find all alicia's information up on there and how to get the book and all about the book and all about alicia's life so what do you think is next for you alicia well with all the social isolating i have to stay productive um yes so i decided to use this time to complete my second book um well and that's done Yes, thank you. Um, I thought might as well, you know, we can't leave. So I'm gonna, I gotta put that, I have to really utilize this time and use it wisely. And I thought, why not knock out my second one? It's already Mm -hmm. written the first draft. Um, It needs um, to be polished. Uh, So that's what I'm working on now to stay busy. Yeah, yeah. Fantastic. And how's it going? Um, It's going pretty good. this book is, is a little bit easier. I mean, it's it's writing a book is a difficult process, as you know. Um, however, <laughs> this one is a little easier in that it's not about me. Yeah. So I could, you know, it's about another woman. It, it, it's based on a true story as well. Um, a, yeah. a fantastic female empowerment story about a female cop in the 1980s. Um, so um, it's it's going quite well. I think it's gonna. I think it's gonna do quite well. She's she's um, a wonderful woman. And, um, you know, so and, and another, another book based on true story. Yes. Yes. And we haven't come up with a title yet. We're still oh, that was on. my next question. What do you yeah. think you're going to call it? We don't <laughs> titles, know yet. Of books, um, <laughs> titles of books are really hard to nut out. Um, it, it's quite a, you know, you'll sit there and you'll, you'll write out all the things that you think that you want in the title and then you'll just go through them and go, nah, that doesn't quite work. Yes, that may be. Like it, it's quite difficult finding something that fits with the story that you're writing and conveys the, the right amount of information that grabs readers' attention. Mm-hmm. I, I agree. I agree. And I know it'll come to me. I think it'll just yes. come to me one day, you know, or sometimes it happens during the writing process. Yes. Um, so that, and then as soon as I finish that book, I'm, I'm really looking forward to my children's book. My first children's book is going to come out later this year as well. Oh my goodness. And what's that one going to be about? That one is entitled Kid Gloves. Yes. And it's fiction. Um, yes. And it's it's going to be loosely based. The characters are going to be loosely based on the children I coach in my boxing class. Wow, that sounds uh, amazing. Yeah. And Alicia, do you uh, self-publish or do you have a, a traditional publisher? I self-published Fighting Chance. Yes. Um, and I did. So work did with I. Sure. Yeah. Um, and um, it was one of the best decisions I've ever made. Yeah. Um, yeah. To self to have creative control. Yes. Um, I also discovered that with with some traditional publishing houses, um, 
you sign with them and they own you. So let's say my book didn't do as well as they wanted in the first three months, they could just dump it. And then exactly. Yeah. So um, I'm really, I, I, I could not have made a better, better decision. I agree. Um, my decision to self-publish was definitely because you have the control over what you produce and that's pretty important for the stories that, that we tell. Alicia Jasmine says, this is like the story about the girl fighter for Million Dollar Baby. Absolutely it is. Oh, that's so nice. Thank you so much. That's a lovely <laughs> comment. That's so nice. Of it. course it is. I think probably Alicia paved the way for Million Dollar Baby, if we're quite honest with it. <laughs> <laughs> That's awfully nice. Um, yeah, I remember when that came out. Yes. And being really blown away by it. Um, so um, there is some interest in making my book into a film. So that's... Yeah. Um, that was my yeah. last question for the morning. Yeah. Any interest? You're in that um, lovely entertainment capital of the world, so it's a like a, a, a an uh, an opportunity to to make your story into a film. You're in the best sort of space for that to happen, aren't you? I really am. I really am. I'm not that far from LA in the studios, and um, this gentleman that I'm uh, communicating with about it, he's um, he's fantastic. So. I think that, you know, it's just a matter of time. Um, but meanwhile, it's um, I love doing these interviews. I love talking to you. I love talking about the story and, and being able to also pay tribute to all of the women and, and the coaches and, and everybody that was part of my journey. You know, the, the book gave me an opportunity to honor them. Yeah. Um, you know, a couple of people in the book, they've passed away since then because I retired Aww. in boxing in 2000. So it took yeah. me 20 years to complete this novel. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Alicia, it's been just a pleasure having you on Radio Tony today and we are out of time, which has gone incredibly quickly. Timber's going, I know, I know what. I know what. Timber's going, the movie starred Clint Eastwood, Hilary Swank and Morgan Freeman. It sure did, Timber. And, yes, Alicia's story is very much like uh, that as well. So, um, Alicia, thank you so much for joining us live on Radio Tony today. Um, it's been a just a pleasure talking to you and I appreciate you taking the time to uh, answer all our listeners questions and it's been a lovely chat and we're going to have to pop on to a great break before I join my uh, our next guest Tracy joins us so over to you Rebel for a break thank you so much uh, Alicia um, I'll be in touch again soon and we'll just go to a quick break listeners and we'll come back with the awesome tracy horton over to you rebel resilience memoir of a broken little girl discovering a woman of strength and beauty is the new book from australian author tony lontis available in paper ebook and audio formats resilience is a true life story of tony experiencing and surviving trauma abuse mental health issues and the ultimate betrayal of someone she fell in love with Available for download now through all good online retailers and in all good bookstores. Tough conversations on the social and moral issues of our time with Tony Lontis. Live from the Gold Coast, Australia, Radio Tony on W4WN. And welcome back to Radio Tony. And this morning we have the show sponsor, Tracy Horton, on the show with us. And as you may know, those of you who listen regularly, Tracy is a seasoned public speaker. She's an author and a qualified life coach. And she's now spends her time 
working alongside men and women, helping them rebuild their lives and allowing people to become the best versions of themselves. Tracy spent lots and lots of years helping people become authentically themselves and she's very good at innately knowing people's needs and helping them get to the things that they need to heal within their life. Tracy is also a personal friend of mine. She's been married to Paul for 30 years. She has four amazing daughters, nine grandchildren, and she's been living on the Gold Coast close to me since 1995. Welcome to the show, Tracy. Good morning, Tony. How are you? I'm very good, actually. I'm really good. We've had a wonderful morning talking to the lovely um, Alicia from uh, LA about wow. her boxing career and all the positives that that's brought into her life. So how are you doing? I'm doing pretty well, actually, yeah. Yep, no, I'm doing very well. Good. I'm really happy to have Tracy on the show today. There's um, a lot of stuff happening for Tracy at the moment. And, of course, all of you know that we're all being impacted by this terrible virus spreading across the world. And, um, Tracy, how's that panning out for you? I know, like myself, you've been in relative self-isolation for a while now. How's that all going? You know... <clears throat> Tony, it's been very interesting for me because I don't spend a lot of time on my own. Like normally, at, you know, when I'm not in self-isolation for COVID-19, I'm a fairly active person. I do a lot of travel. I do a lot of face-to-face work. So it's it's kind of, I've kind of vacillated between thinking maybe this is Christmas and it's a holiday. <laughs> <laughs> and oh That's my goodness. Good thinking. And, oh, my goodness, where's the world gone? You know, it's it's a very interesting time how we how much this has unsettled most people because it's so out of the norm for us. I was just going to say I've been talking to lots of people this week and the theme has been that wave of emotions. So going down into the, oh, my God, this is not great, up into, oh, this is okay, there's lots of opportunities to do this, that and the other and maybe we can do uh, this or that and then back down into the, oh, God, um, I'm going to be isolated for at least another few months. What's this going to look like? Am I going to be okay? So lots of people are, are, are saying that that wave of emotions at the moment is very strong. Yes, and I think Australia is a bit unique because we haven't locked down. So yeah. we're sort of in this big limbo of is it coming, is it coming, is it coming? Yeah. But we still have a little bit of freedom, whereas uh, most of the rest of the world are actually in lockdown, which yeah. is quite a different thing again because they've had some of their rights and some of their human privileges taken away from them. So that's yeah. that's quite different again. And, and people react to privileges being taken away from them in different ways don't they Trace? They do they do and you know Tony human nature says that we we often don't appreciate things until we lose them Mm -hmm. and so I think for a lot of people you know just even that grumpy trip to the office in the car fighting all the traffic is now starting to look like something they used to love to do whereas they would have given it up you know if you had asked them last December they would have given it up in a minute but now they can't wait to do it again because it's gone and and so I think it's a really reflectful time for people yeah and I think it's making them think okay 
would I want to do it differently? Because we all think we want to work from home and be able to get up at 10 and do whatever we like. But now we can. We're finding out that 95% of people actually need regimes and workplaces to go to to be productive. And yeah. so, you know, we're, we're finding out a lot about ourselves, I think. Yeah. Jed's got a question. How are we to get through this type of thing? That's a great question for you, Trace. You know, Jed, I don't know if I can answer it because it's never been before. Yeah. And I and I think the answer, and I do not wish to frustrate you at all, Jed, is that possibly everybody has their own answer to that. Yeah. So for me, I have chosen to see this as a semi-holiday. I've chosen to take this as, okay, this is really different to anything I've ever done before. So I'm going to work these hours. I'm going to take some time to learn some new skills like I said last week I'm learning photography Um, I'm doing some work around the house that I've been putting off because if we sit at home and just think we're locked down and we should be working and stuff that pressure is actually going to really mentally do us in and so I think what you've got to do is you've got to think okay what will work for me and as we've seen already, there's a glut of videos of people dancing and talking yeah. and doing all sorts of stuff yeah. um, because, you know, something works different for everybody. And and I would agree very much with Tracy because um, Trace, we're all different personalities. And so for me, this isolation is, well, I'm actually kind of enjoying it, um, but I'm an introvert. I like quiet time alone. However, my friends like Tracy, my daughter, who are more extroverted and who enjoy other people's um, company, not to say that I don't enjoy people's company, but I'm very comfortable by myself and in alone time, whereas lots and lots of other people are really going to struggle in this time because they can't get to the groups of people that they normally associate with. So that's why we're seeing such a phenomenal amount of people on social media looking for things to do, looking for things to learn and looking for things to listen to. And it's a great time for people who have those things in place already, but for people who don't and who are just in um, isolation and who would normally just go to work, it's harder for them to try and figure out, okay, so what do I do now? I can't work. I can't go outside. And it's about finding other things to do that bring you joy. Isn't it, Tracy? Oh, absolutely. And I think it's about working out what you don't want to give up and finding a way to redefine that. Um, yeah. I know I know for Paul, he's got three or four mates. My husband's got three or four mates he plays golf with every Friday afternoon. Yeah. And then they have a couple of beers and it's kind of like their time. And they've started to actually get on like a, a Facebook live call yeah. at 4.30 uh, on a Friday just for half an hour. And it's it's hilarious because none of them are very savvy with that stuff. And so, you know, they're looking <laughs> at each other's foreheads for half of it. And But it's actually amazing how how different Paul is when he gets off that call. Yeah. And I, I think for people, you know, picking up the phone, doing FaceTime, I think we can still really stay in relationship with people. We're just going to have to redefine it a bit. And do it in a different way. Still do what we used to do, but just in a different way. Absolutely. Absolutely. 
Um, I was telling the listeners earlier in the show about my drive-by flu injection, uh, which they thought was very interesting. And so there's a prime example of something that needs to, I need to get done, but I need to do it in a very different way than what I used to do it, simply because we're in this uh, virus state. And yeah. the other thing is that it really isn't going to last forever. It really does have an end time, although I can't say what that end will look like. And we may have a very different world. Do you think, Tracy? what do you think will change when we come out the other side? I think, I think the biggest concern in people's hearts is the financial change we'll see mm -hmm. because we don't, as a world, as each country, we can't lock down our economies and expect them to stay the same. And yeah. every sane, rational person listening to this radio station knows that. Yeah. So I think that brings a lot of, I think that's actually bringing a lot of mental health pressure to a lot of people. Yeah. You know, will, will my 41K be there? Will it still yeah. look the same? Will I have job security? Will, will my business start back up? Will the boss actually have enough money to restart us? You know, there's yeah. all that. Yeah. So I think I think it's going to look pretty fresh and I think it could look really different. And I think if people have, if they can just pause for a moment and really just get a little vulnerable and just start yeah. to think about what they would really want it to look like. Because yeah. for some people, I think not going back to their job could be a great thing. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, it could be a really great thing to go to a brand new job and do a brand new thing. Um, and I think for some people, I know in Australia, there's some people that are like in their mid to late 60s. And you know what? They're just taking the retirement. They were yeah. going to take it in two years time anyway. And they're just thinking, you know what? I'm going to take it now. Yeah. And and I think that it will look really different for people. Um, I think the world will be a little bit more relational. I don't think it's going to move quite so fast. I don't mm -hmm. think the emphasis on materialism will be quite as out of whack as it got. Yes. Yeah. Because it's a bit like, it's a bit like this, you know, the family are all living together and we're all getting on fine and then one person gets quite ill and all of a sudden we start to realise how important our family is. Yeah. And it's like that's happened globally. All of a yeah. sudden, you know, we were all taking each other for granted. We were all just mucking around, go, doing our own thing, you know, do, doing it however we wanted. And then all of a sudden some people have got ill. We've all shut down and we've said, hang on, this matters. We, we want to be yes. on this planet. We want to be in this big family. So I think it's a really good time for people to start looking and understanding how it's going to be. Yeah, I, I think it is an opportune time. If ever there was a time for people to stop and take a breath and slow down and slow down life and take some time out and, and do some things that nurture their soul, now's the time because we won't get another time like this in our generation, generation I, don't, I don't think. I think that now's the time for people to take that pause and reevaluate themselves, their business, their working life, the way they want to do things in the future. This is the time to do it. This is the time to tick off all those books you've always wanted to read, uh, the time to think about how your life might look at the end of this. And, of course, we don't know what life's going to look like at the end of this. I, listening to the amount of financial packages and money 
um, being handed out by governments across the world. I I feel a little nervous about that. Tracy, what do you think? I, I appreciate that and, and am grateful that that is happening for people who need that. But what does that mean for our future generations, for governments across the world? One of the things that they are saying um, in most of the first world countries is it's going to be like it was after the war. Yeah. Uh, you know, that we're going to go back to this pretty basic line because yeah. obviously most of the first world countries are going to have some debt now they didn't have a month ago. That's right. Um, and that's always a precarious position for a first world country because the debt ratio depends on how much influence they have in the world. Yeah. But I don't actually think it is going to change our lives a lot. I think it's just going to be a slower, fresher start back into it. I think it's going to be a bit more... I know in Australia what we are really looking forward to is the fact that it's actually going to fix this, the market of yeah. housing and it's actually going to create some opportunities. I've got children aged 25 to 30 and they're all talking about the prospect of being able to buy into the market next year that yeah. was would never have been available to them had we not had this plateau, had we not had this abrupt call yeah. to to fix everything up because as you know in Australia property market Price is just going just, up and up and up yeah. um, whereas now it's, it's it's actually going to plummet a little bit but it's actually going to stagnate probably at a very realistic price and they're yeah. probably going to be able to buy in so I don't think it's all doom and gloom I think there's some really I agree. Good stuff coming out of it I agree. And one of the things I spoke about earlier was the fact that um, working parents have access to free childcare during this time. Like, that's a, an amazing thing for uh, working parents. I know my daughter was overjoyed at the fact that uh, free childcare would be in situ for a, a small amount of time. She sees it as a, just a fantastic thing. What are your thoughts, Trace? Oh, I think that's a, I think that's a really great thing. I mean, my daughter's a nurse, so she's a uh, frontliner. So she got that information yesterday, and she was saying, you know, that'll really help. Um, yeah. You know, it's back to all the basics again. You know, we're starting to review what's important, and we're starting to look at the costs of things. Yeah. Because the fact of the matter is, the dollar goes goes as far as the dollar goes, and so yeah. that's sort of what we're all looking at now. And it's great that some of that stuff is actually correcting. I love it. I do too. I think that it's it's about time. So Beck wants to know, that is easier for those who've been affected, but what about people who are still going on with life as it was? Do you want to answer that one, Tracy? You know, Beck, that is a really great question because in Australia, we have got probably two-thirds of our country that's been affected and one-third that is going yep. on. And I have spoken to Tony off air about this a couple of times and saying we need to be very careful with that one third because they have the potential to burn out with mental health because in many ways they're kind of carrying us yeah. and in many ways they're doing the job now of two or three people. Yeah. I'm not sure what it's like in the States, but in Australia if you're a frontliner and necessary and you're going. still working, you're actually doing a lot. And at the whole time you're second-guessing everything you do so you stay healthy because you're returning home to people. Yeah. So, Beck, Beck, I actually really feel for those people and I'm waiting. I'm waiting for people to begin to understand they are a very unique category and we probably need to be looking after them really more. Really looking 
after them. Because I, I have four children, like I said, and three of them are at home with their children, no problem, and one is a frontliner, and it's a very different world for her compared to the others. I was going to say my my daughter too is still working. She's considered um, essential, and um, she's having a few it, – it's hard for her to navigate the fact that she's still working and many, many, many of her friends have completely lost their their world. Um, they've got no work, they're struggling with, with mortgages and things, and, and she still gets to go to work. So she is feeling uh, blessed that she can go to work, but then on the same token, she's worried about lots and lots of her friends. She's virtually the only one in her group that is still has the capacity to work uh, full-time and Trace your girls would be the same yes so I've got three daughters who are now at home with their children um, self-isolating and they are getting some government assistance and life is going on for them but I've got a daughter who's a frontliner she's a nurse mm. and you know there's a whole different amount of stuff for her so yeah. she arrives home after a shift into the laundry she takes off all of her clothes puts herself in her robe, which is already in the laundry. She goes straight to the shower. She washes with a hospital-grade um, sponge, which is given to her at work, before yeah. she even can say hello to her husband and her child. Yeah. So so like Elena says to me, Mum, it's one thing to be able to pay the mortgage, but it's another thing to have that stress. And I think that's what yeah. Beck is probably alluding to, yeah. is that – it's a catch-22. Some of them are at home safe with their children. They're able to bake. They're able to watch movies. But they've got that little bit of inkling pressure of how do we make this work? How, do we have to rezone the mortgage? Do we have to yeah. speak to someone about our rent? But on the other side, we've got these girls that are still bringing in still these work. paychecks. Mm -hmm. But, but mm -hmm. they're, having to, they're having to guard all the time that they're not bringing COVID-19 back into the house. That's exactly the conversation I've had with my daughter too, Trace. She's always concerned about, gosh, what if I, you know, get it? And, and yeah, it, it's very concerning. Um, Taylor says, here in the States, it feels like we're going to fall into despair, like after the war when it was a depression. Yeah. You know, Taylor, Every single country is going to have a bit of that because there is not a country on this planet that is dealing well with mental health. Oh. So we are going to have the people that aren't going to cope. In every country, we have domestic violence where yeah. people are being locked down with abusers. So we are going to have some fallout, absolutely. But I think we've never been better equipped to deal with the fallout. When yeah. you look at the Second World War, people were starving People were losing their houses. They were going on the streets. They, Many of the women didn't have husbands coming home, um, and they had no hope. We still have a lot of hope. Yeah, we do we, have hope. We do have a lot of hope, and there is always, I don't know about the States, but I know in Australia the government's working very hard for no one to get evicted over this time if they can't yeah. pay rent and stuff like that. But we are going to have to address mental health. And if anyone listening to this is in any way interested in this, I reckon mental health is the next the next industry to be involved in. Yeah. I'm going to be upskilling. I'm going to be doing a couple of mental health courses while I'm while I'm at home, because yeah. uh, because I think like never before, people are going to need to know how to heal their minds and their souls after this. Because 
Taylor's right, some of them are going to come out in despair. Yeah, yeah. And and, and those that um, fall into despair, that, that's a pretty normal uh, human to reaction to something this huge. And I don't think that we should underestimate that this is a huge shift for the whole of humanity, the whole of the world. No one's going to get through this unscathed, I don't think. I don't think there's a place on the planet that will get through this unscathed. And that means that life as we knew it will change. Whether we want it to or not, it just will, won't it, Trace? Oh, for sure, because it's we've lost human rights and people really struggle with that. And yeah. that it's not that... It's not that there's this secret illness hanging around our communities. It's that we can't go to the beach without the police moving us on. Yeah. It's it's the fact that we're now there's now a presence telling us you have to do necessary things and then go home. Yeah. It's the fact that my my grandchildren cannot come and visit um even if they wanted to. Yeah. Um you, you know, there's all of that sort of stuff. But Tony, I think we have to understand that COVID-19 came like a wave onto the beach, like a tsunami. But a lot of people were already struggling. And for some people in our community, they were covering it with a decent job or they were covering it with with the the way they spent their money on the weekends at the markets and having fun with their friends. And we've broken down that structure. We've broken down that scaffolding. So that's where people are going to get really upset and really in despair and that's why they should be listening to radio stations they should be doing things off their bucket list they should still be talking to their friends phone facetime zoom skype you have to stay connected because if you don't and the only person you're listening to is you you will actually get a little frightened because it's a big thing it's a big thing it is a big thing carl says do you think people in this day and age can handle the changes that are coming what do you think tracy this is an interesting question for me because because my husband's parents are only 80 even though you know we're nearly 60 they're only 80 because they had Paul quite young so we've got we've got a granddaughter who's 13 and we've got parents who are 80 and it's interesting that the older people are coping really well because they never really had an understanding of connection through social media so they're actually doing okay they're still picking up the phone and checking on the neighbors they're still walking out to check the mail and waving to the guy across the road who's watering his lawn they're actually doing really well but my 13 year old grandchild's really struggling because she's struggling to get on the same time as all her friends and some of them have got have been told they're not allowed to be on the internet as much as they are and stuff and so her world has kind of ended because she doesn't even have phone numbers for some of her friends it's all social media so she's got she's got she's a little fretful and so I'm just really working through with her at the moment about how to form real relationships and how to do other stuff because none of her cousins can come and play with her obviously so I think I don't think everybody's kind of cope the same and I don't think it's so much as cultures I think it's actually ages and and generations because what we haven't realized is that this younger generation are doing everything behind a screen there's no face-to-face interaction so you know 
it's going to be very interesting to see how it all works out. But again, I, I see a lot of positives. I see this is an opportunity for Madison, my granddaughter, to really learn some stuff from her her gra- her great grandparents. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There, there's there's those beautiful things that are coming from being forced to. Uh, do things outside the normal um jan wants to know does your country have the same free rights like america does uh jan yes we do normally but at the moment our rights are being the government is overriding some of those rights in its efforts to protect the population um because australians are a bit uh uh, what's the word? Laxy daisy. Uh, Australians are, uh, are so mellow that they have not been uh, doing what they're supposed to. So that's resulted in some pretty restricted uh, ways that we move around. Um, I know in our current state of Queensland, our borders, state borders, are locked down tight. And the only way that you can cross the border is if you have a special permit. Um, So those normal rights that we expect in a normal time are are being vastly eroded here in Australia. I'm not sure how it's how that's happening in America. And Penny said Americans are delusional thinking they um, have more freedoms than others. America is not really a free people and we have dumbed them down so they think that they have more freedom than others do. And Geo said some states in the US are doing the same. So, Trace, I think that concept of, of, of freedom is uh, taking uh, – it's being changed. So the freedoms that we once all enjoyed, like going to the beach – uh, we can't do at the moment, and that's not forever. It's just for the time that it takes to get the virus under control, and then how those freedoms are reintroduced to the population. That'll be an interesting conversation as well. And I've got no answer for that. And and Tracy, you probably don't either. Actually, I've got a good story, Tony. <clears throat> yes, there were. There were some American POWs in Japan and there was this very famous camp and they, when they found it at the end of the Second World War, they noticed that there were seven men behind huge, big fences with lots and lots of um, mesh and guns and they were highly protected and everybody else was free to roam. Uh-huh. And when they just, and when they interviewed them, they discovered the seven men behind the fence. When they first went to this POW camp, they were interviewed and asked one question and one question only. What do you dream of at the end of this war? And the seven men behind the fence could articulate a very strong and precise dream. I will go home and do this. So they were considered high risk. And this is it. My my Australian rights of living have been altered, yeah. but my personal human rights have not been touched because they are mine. And I dream of walking out of my house. I dream of life going back to normal. I dream of all the things I want to do. And I think if we sit at home and worry that our human rights are being attacked, that is not good for our mental health. Agreed. Our, our human conditioning 
has been changed, no doubt about it. I'm not free to go and sunbathe at the beach. That's a conditioning. But my human right to enjoy the beach will never be touched because that's on me to continue to dream of the day I'm at the beach with my grandchildren. That's a great story of hope. And I find it interesting that out of all those men, seven of them held on to a dream and they were the only ones considered likely to run away and the rest were left. There was an offence in sight. Not one of them tried because they'd given up on their dream. Yeah, yeah. That's a great story this morning, Tracy. Vincent says, when do you think things will be under control? Ah, Well, that's a really good question and I'm not sure that... um, from my perspective, and this is my nursing and health brain thinking, I kind of think it's going to be at least six months before we see anything that resembles the hint of going back to normal and that six months time frame is is changeable. And I guess it depends on how much we're able to control the virus and the development of a vaccine. So just for our American listeners, in Australia, they have fast-tracked vaccine development um, to the point where uh, they are already commencing on uh, animal trials at the moment and they are hoping to be able to fast-track the rest of the vaccine process so once someone in the world has a vaccine things will start to shift but how long that will take uh, that's we don't know that do we trace no we don't and i think the answer is probably country by country i think i think the bans and the freedoms will change country by country but i think intercom intercountry will actually could actually stay in place till december i i think you know i think as america heals they'll probably allow their Americans to start functioning more, but actually letting Australians, Italians, Spanish and Chinese fly in, I think they'll hold that off. Because not every country is going to heal the same way because not every country is getting ill the same way. And case in point is Australia is still not on lockdown. We're still still on the bell curve. It's still climbing. Whereas whereas places like Portugal and Spain, they've plateaued right out because they've locked down and they've locked down hard. Yeah. So, you know, I think it's going to come back country by country, but our intercompany relations, I think we could we could see them f- affected for the rest of the year. Yeah, I, um, as you probably all know, I cancelled my May tour to the Philippines, but we left in place the possibility of the tour to the Philippines in November. But the longer we get on this track, the less, likely it's looking that we'll even be allowed to travel outside of Australia by November 2020. So the again, it's just it for me, it's a matter of just taking things slowly. I don't have to make a decision about that particular thing right now and I can just play it as and take it as it plays out. And I'm quite okay with the fact that, yep, I might have to cancel for this year. Just So Tracy's an international speaker and, and she normally speaks all over the world uh, a lot of the time. And 
So Tracy is now not doing those speaking engagements across the world simply because we're not allowed to fly out of Australia and who knows when we will be able to fly out of Australia. So Francis says we have to watch because just when we think it's contained and under control, people are going to mix and kick it back up again. Well, that and that's the thing, Francis. Yeah. Um, I, and Tracy would probably agree that that even when we start to move around again, they'll have to watch and see what happens by allowing people to travel around again and see if the virus starts to be re um, throughout the community. And again, we you can't answer that. This is again it, the world hasn't had to experience pandemic since. Uh, the Spanish flu in 1908 or 1918. So that's a long time ago and outside most of our generational thinking. We're uh, in a completely new uh, time and the way we deal with it will be many governments learning as we go. So, Tracy, I'm was looking at your information earlier so any any uh plans to write another book because um we've spoken about your lovely book called the unhappy smile before are you thinking of writing another one i'm actually writing two at the moment <clears throat> ah see very industrious <laughs> yeah. of you yeah um the first one's called from baked beans to bellagio <laughs> <laughs> which which is a title. which is really about what we believe we achieve that is that is it in a nutshell um yeah. I, I grew up a very very poor child in a very poor part of New Zealand where literally my parents were were dysfunctional they were out of the home drinking and partying and doing stuff and every afternoon when they left at 4.30, they would leave a can opener, a spoon and a tin of baked beans and I would feed my four-year-old sister and I, we would have that. <gasps> and then, and I, and, and really this book is about all the things I put in place to change my thought patterns because two years ago, well, a year ago, just last Christmas, I was at the Bellagio and I did a live around my book because I was speaking at an event. And I did a live outside the Bellagio Hotel with those beautiful um, waterfalls. And then I went in and I sat at the bar and I had a copy of my book. And the the guy serving me a glass of wine asked me about it. And I just sort of told him some stuff. And we got talking and he paid for my wine and he looked me in the eye and he said, we don't get the caliber of women like you in this place very often. And it blew me away. Tony, it, it just took everything within me not to cry. Cause I thought here as a kid who didn't even know what meat was, I didn't know how to use a knife and fork. And I'm sitting at a bar in the Bellagio hotel yeah. at Christmas time, yeah. having a young man say, we don't meet women like you very often. So that, that book's been percolating for about a year. So that, that will be out in the next couple of months. And <clears throat> I've also been part of a personal journey around mental health and depression. And yeah. so I've just, and so I've decided to write a book about understanding the black dog we call depression because the more I've looked into it and the more I've worked in this area with somebody very close to me, I've realised our whole society is set up for us to get this. We, we have to change some things. We have to replace some, some pieces on the chessboard or we will all 
get to a stage in our lives where we where we can say, "Hey, I think I had depression, um, and that's that's not okay for me. It's not what I want on my watch. I'm determined to break that myth." Yeah, yeah, and particularly important to start having those conversations right now when people are at their most vulnerable. Yes. Um, just a comment from Francis. It's like we're rats in an experiment. This is not looking well at all, and the unknown is scary. Yes, Francis, it is a bit scary. Bonnie, how will we know if people around us are going to be stable, or is there a way to see before people crack? Trace? <clears throat> Great question, Bonnie. Yeah, Bonnie, that's a great question. And you know what I love about you, Bonnie? There is a big heart behind a question like that. And I think kudos to you for being someone who's still thinking about everybody else. That is lovely. You've made my day. <clears throat> really, all you can do is is look out for your neighbours, your family and your closest friends because, Bonnie, as we all know, people have masks because we're so afraid. We're so afraid of our own vulnerability and our own brokenness. You know, Tony breaks down at lunch and cries over something. I look at that and think it's beautiful. But when I do it, something inside of me says, don't be so silly. Don't be so crazy. Don't do that. It's not good. And yet Tony's looking at it thinking, how beautiful. Yeah. And so we do have this whole construct of, you know, if I get vulnerable and I get soft, it, it's not going to be good. It's okay for everyone else. I can love on them. So there is going to be some masking. And right now it's hard to mask because you're alone with yourself and, and all the things that we use to mask, which is social interactions and, and purchasing things, and that is taken away from us. So there will be some cracks. And, Bonnie, we're, we're limited. So... I think time has proven to us that the most important thing people need is connection. So waving to your neighbours. You know, just yesterday, my granddaughter and I wrote a little note and said, hey, everybody, just reminder that we're living at one extant place. If, if you guys need any food, if you need a smile, if you need a wave, if you need a chat, you know, let us know. Here's my phone number. Don't, don't lock up now and be alone. You know, and we just gave it to all the neighbours because we live in a little cul-de-sac with eight houses and, yeah. you know, and I think, you know, just, just keep connected and just remember that there's a lot of places that are equipped to deal with this. So if, if you notice a friend is getting quieter on your phone calls, you know, FaceTime them so you can read their body language and if they are going down, you know, encourage them to make the calls and, and talk anonymously to, to the mental health lines and, you know, and just because it is going to be tough for all of us. We're all going to have the day. We're all going to have the day. We're not superhuman. And neither should we pretend to be superhuman. No. Um, it's okay for people to be down, despairing, upset, uh, angry. All of those emotions are pretty normal in such a huge state of change and flux but Bonnie if you're watching out for the people around you how lucky are they to have you to keep an eye on them because a lot of people out there don't have someone like Bonnie keeping an eye on them and those are the people that both Tracy and I are worried about someone who is not being checked on by anyone and just those simple exercises as Tracy and her granddaughter did, dropping notes in people's mailboxes to say, 
we're here if you need us. I've seen we've seen lots of lovely things with neighbours, um, uh, with elderly couples that are neighbours and putting up the green card in the window to say, yeah, we're all good, or the red card, no, we need some help with something, and then working out a way that you can get them them help. It's kind of if you um, engage people in the fun ways to help others, that that, that doesn't just help them, it helps you and it gives you back something to look forward to, something, it'll ignite something in your heart that you're actually trying to do something in a situation where there's not a lot you can do. No, there's not. And it's those little ways and those little little human touches that will help people the most and it will help them to stay okay. And, and, and that's all we're aiming for is for everyone to be okay. Absolutely. So, so having a granddaughter at home with you, Tracy, is that causing you to think outside the square and view life through her eyes versus your adult eyes? You know, I think what it's doing is it's holding me really accountable to keep life normal for her. You know, my husband and I are empty nesters. We've been married 34 years now. We get along very well. So it would be so easy to pop into my bubble and actually forget I exist in the world. But, you know, for having Madison at 13, you know, there's this all these practices, you know, of, of doing things and just to keep her in the in the view like we're swimming every morning together because it's just reminding her that life goes on life is normal get out of bed maddie let's go do this you know so it's she's actually been a great gift to us yeah and at this time um i'm not sure how she feels locking down with the grandparents (laughs) but she seems to be coping okay at the moment (laughs) has she got homeschooling stuff to do tracy uh, no, because she's in high school, so they're oh, actually okay. been on holiday. So it'll start in two weeks. Um, they have all everything is on computer at her school, and they are yet yeah. to unlock them. Oh, um, okay. And so they're having that big debate because once it's unlocked, unlocked, obviously she can do whatever she wants on that computer. Whereas oh. at this stage, she can only do it from school. So they're just taking it a, a bit longer to get that pathway, so she can only be connected to school on it. But yeah, she will during she school will. hours. Yes, yeah, she'll have to do it through school hours. Yep, she'll sign yep. in and sign out. Yeah, yeah, and not then, the full time. She won't have to do it full time, but she'll have to sign in and out every day. Okay, okay. See, like the you, you, when you start to talk to people about the wider ranging issues of of connectedness, it's just like, oh wow, I didn't think about that. I just thought that all the teachers would jump on Zoom and deliver their classes, but that's obviously not what's going to happen. No, and, not at all. And will you have to super, supervise the work or will the teachers supervise the work? Um, if anyone has to supervise, it'll be my husband because he's got way more patience <laughs> than, than me. <laughs> I'll be giving her the answers or tuning out and she, I won't even know if she did it. He's very, very structured. So he'll be doing the homeschooling and I'll be – I've decided to teach her how to cook over this time. Yeah. I, I really love cooking and I'm quite a good cook. Yeah. So I've decided I'm going to teach her three or four of my signature dishes. 
yeah. um, which she sort of thinks is a bit of fun. My husband's a builder, so they're actually going to build a piece of furniture for her bedroom together. So she's she's going to have a bit of fun. She's going to have learn some new skills. See, like those are the good things that will come out of this, like precious memories created out of a time when we were in lockdown and I would encourage all our listeners to think about the sorts of memories you can create from this time not focusing on 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 the bad things but the beautiful memories you can create out of this time and for me that's you know Facebook time with the grandson Facebook time with my son in New Zealand um like I are getting I'm getting a huge amount of joy not that I didn't get joy before but it's just a it, it's a very special joy out of those times because I know it's special now and and it's brought me back to being more grateful and gracious about so many things oh, and sure. as Tracy would know one of my daily practices is to be grateful and gracious about the things that I have in my life. And for me, my ability to be on radio and talk to people across the world and have wonderful guests like Tracy and Alicia on the show, that is such a blessing. I have to tell you, it's just such a blessing. Thanks, Tony. It's awesome to work with you. You're a darling of a woman. I love you. Oh, I just, I, I, as I said to the listeners, I know Tracy on a personal level and to be able to uh, interact with her on a personal level and a professional level is, is really a beautiful thing. And for me, it's becoming more and more combining those um, personal relationships that flow out into a business and what that looks like um, going forward into the future. So I'm uh, full of grateful graciousness with lots of things at the moment and to be surrounded still by such beautiful friends um, from across the world and even though we are apart because of the virus, we're still connecting in very meaningful ways and that's a precious thing. So listeners, we have run out of time yet again. Um, It's been wonderful to have you on the show, Tracy, and I look forward to talking to you again. And next week, listeners, we are dropping back to a one-hour show. Um, I'm finding that, again, I'm reassessing things and I'm thinking that I would like an extra hour on my Fridays. So I'm still going to be live on air with you uh, every Thursday night and Friday, but it'll just be for a little bit less time. That way I can start to do some more things that I'd like to do that are on my bucket list and improve the way that I deliver my show to you. So thank you so much for being live on air again today Tracy and listeners thank you so much for all your wonderful comments and questions across the whole show please go go home uh, stay home and be safe and I look forward to joining you all next week bye for now bye everybody Radio Tony your safe space for tough conversations exposing secrets and talking about trauma and recovery Radio Tony A platform for the unheard. Radio Tony. With Tony Lontis, author of Resilience, memoir of a broken little girl discovering a woman of strength and beauty. Radio Tony. Radio Tony.
Available now on Amazon.com and in all good bookstores. Radio Tony. Back next Thursday from 7pm Eastern Standard Time, live from the Gold Coast, Australia. Mama.